Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. Thank you for being here. We are so grateful that you're here tonight. We've had a great day, a busy day, and I suspect there are a lot of folks that are going to sleep well tonight because there were probably any number of people present this afternoon that didn't get a chance to get their typical nap on a Sunday afternoon, but we're glad you're back. And let me just say this, how much we appreciate James and Kathleen and all those who are working with our young folks. They did a tremendous job this afternoon, and it was really amazing to see the growth of these young people. And I'm talking about just from little toddler age, I guess I could say. I mean, these guys, they sang, they led songs, they quoted scripture, they presented lessons, they participated in a Bible bowl, and uh, by the way, they beat the adults, didn't they? So, says something about their knowledge. And so, thank you. Our young people, we are very, very proud of you. We appreciate so much your involvement. To those of you who are parents and those who are working with our young people, thank you. And uh, they are the future of the church. And it's so encouraging to see their growth. Tonight in our study, we're going to be talking about the life of Peter. I would imagine that many of us, to some extent, can identify with Peter. Of all the apostles, Peter was probably the most colorful. There are just so many things that pique our interest when we look at his life. And as we think about his spiritual growth, Peter, during the course of about three, three and a half years, came a long way, didn't he? And so you look back over your own life and you think about how much you have grown as a Christian. The goal, of course, is to grow in Christ and to be what He would have us to be, to demonstrate a Christ-like disposition each and every day. So let's think about Peter for a minute. I was just thinking about our character studies up until this point in time. And it's really impossible to do an exhaustive study of these individuals. There's just so much material. Some, no doubt, more material than others. But there are any number of things that could be brought out about the life of Peter. We're not going to have the opportunity to look at every single instance in the life of Peter. But I want to call your attention to what I believe to be some of the peaks and valleys in his life. I want to begin by, first of all, calling attention to the call of Peter. And the passage that was read a moment ago is a reminder to us about the importance of introducing the Lord to others. In John chapter 1, we have an account of Andrew, Peter's brother. Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, as we studied last week, was the forerunner of the Christ, and his intent, point people in the direction of Christ. And so... John, having seen Jesus, identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now John the Apostle tells us that those disciples who heard John speak turned and followed Jesus. One of the individuals that heard John the Baptist was Andrew. And according to the Apostle John, Andrew found his own brother. And said to him, we have found the Christ. Doesn't that say something about the importance 
of sharing good news with others. Here was Andrew. They were all looking for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One. And Andrew, having found him, exclaimed to Peter and the long ago, We have found the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Let me just ask this question. Have you taken the opportunity to share the Lord with a friend or family member? To tell somebody that's close to you about Christ and what He's done for your life. The beauty of Christianity is that it is a transforming message. And Christianity takes people where they are and makes tremendous changes for the better in their lives. And so you look at Andrew and Peter. They were both by trade fishermen, weren't they? And so back in Matthew chapter 4, you remember they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. I suspect that they spent a lot of time out on the sea fishing. Sometimes, no doubt, they were very successful. Other times, maybe not so successful. But in Matthew chapter 4, we have the invitation of Jesus to Peter and Andrew to become His disciples. And you remember Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what does the text say about those individuals? The Bible says, Immediately they left all and followed Him. The call to become a disciple of Christ entails a willingness to deny self and take up the cross and follow the Lord, doesn't it? For example, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so these men began a journey that lasted about three, three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ. But more importantly, the call was just the beginning, wasn't it? Because Peter and Andrew are going to serve the Lord for the duration of their lives. And the call to become a child of God, the call to discipleship is a lifelong process, isn't it? And a disciple is simply one who learns. We are pupils of the Lord. Now, there's a second thing I want to talk about with regard to Peter. First, the call, but then secondly, what about his character? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when somebody mentions the name Peter? Typically, I think about his tongue, don't you? I mean, Peter had, well, Peter was known for oftentimes speaking before he put his mind into gear. And so with that in mind, let me just give you a couple of examples. And let me just call attention to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter had affirmed that Jesus was the Christ. But I want you to note something in chapter 16 and chapter 17 with me, if you would. Down in verse 21, the text tells us that Jesus began to show to His disciples that He would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, raised again the third day. And then listen to what Peter said. Matthew said that Peter took Jesus to the side and began to rebuke him as if the Lord didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, can you imagine saying that to the Lord? I suspect that Peter probably came to 
Well, I suspect that he regretted making that statement. Because look at verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense or a stumbling block to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So Peter, as we are when we talk about discipleship, Peter was learning, wasn't he? And not only was Peter learning, but he was growing. He would write about in 2 Peter chapter 3, growing grace and knowledge in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, here was a fellow that was learning and growing. Then drop down and look at chapter 17. In chapter 17, we have Jesus being transfigured on the mountaintop. And he takes with him Peter, James, and John, doesn't he? And so note if you would in verse 2, the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. What a majestic sight that must have been. And so then Matthew said, Moses and Elijah appeared on the scene. Now, can you imagine you're in the presence of Christ, he's transfigured, And now Moses, the great lawgiver, along with Elijah the prophet, both appear. And the text says they began talking with him. Do you think these men had an interest in the work of Jesus? Do you think it's possible that in the Hadean realm they were in paradise, or they'd been in paradise? Do you think that they had what we might call keen interest in the finished work of Christ? Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promised seed, the announcement of that seed line. And then here is Moses, the writer of the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses points to the coming of the prophet, that is, the Christ in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And every eye in the Old Testament is pointed in the direction of the coming of the Christ. Well, what was the significance of the coming of Jesus? Why would it have been so important to Elijah and Moses? Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission? Jesus was coming to die on Calvary, as John the Baptist said, to take away the sin of the world under the old covenant. Those sins were not forgiven in the absolute sense of the word, but rather they enjoyed forgiveness in anticipation of the coming of Christ and the shedding of His blood. So Moses and Elijah, they appear on the scene. Peter then speaks up, doesn't he? And he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now drop down, look if you would, at verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then Matthew adds this, Hear him. Moses had been the great lawgiver. Elijah was a reformer, a great prophet of God. And yet God the Father speaking from heaven in the presence of Moses and Elijah said, this is my beloved son, placing his stamp of approval on Jesus and saying, 
You need to listen to what he has to say. And wasn't it Jesus who would later say before ascending to heaven, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth? And are, not we, are we not bound to be submissive to the authoritative words of Jesus? Yes. So I think about the tongue of Peter. And then secondly, he was trustworthy. I mentioned a moment ago that when they went up on the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them, only Peter, James, and John accompanied the Lord. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't it Peter, James, and John who were with Him? Yes. To me, there was a close-knit relationship between the Lord and those three men. I, I know and I understand that Peter had a lot of growing to do, and he did grow in life. But based upon what I read in Scripture, Jesus had a lot of faith in Peter. Now, Peter made his mistakes. wasn't necessarily what he should have been and could have been at times, but nonetheless, the Lord trusted him. And so we're going to look at that in just a minute. Now, let's think in the third place. Let's talk about, for a minute or two, the confidence or the conviction of Peter. Since we're in chapter 17, let's just back up and look at chapter 16 for a minute. You remember in chapter 16, in verse 13, Jesus and the disciples there in the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And the text says that Jesus, in a very pointed way, asked the disciples. Listen to what he asked. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they began to say, well, some would say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question. But who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up. And Peter affirms, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Peter here affirming that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ to come, that He was the Son of the living God. And now note, if you would, what the Lord said in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church very quickly. And let me just point this out. The word Peter in the original is in the masculine. And that word means a stone, a pebble, a small stone. So Jesus is saying to Peter, But I say to you that you're Peter and upon this rock. The word rock here is in the feminine gender. And it means a large stone, a massive stone, a bedrock stone. And so what the Lord is saying to Peter is not, I'm going to build the church on you, Peter. If that were the case, then the church would be built upon a fallible man. But rather Jesus said, I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus built the church on that bedrock statement, that monumental statement that He was and is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now note if you would, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now look at verse 19. 
Jesus then said to Peter, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The binding and loosing here had already been done. Where? In heaven. By whom? By the Lord. And so Jesus here is promising to Peter as well as the other apostles. And you can turn over and read in, for example, in chapter 18, verse 18. He is promising them that they will receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the keys signifying authority. And so on Pentecost Day, they unlock the doors to the kingdom of God. Now, having said that, let's look over in John chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6 with me, if you would. Again, we're thinking about the conviction of Peter. And Peter demonstrated his faith in the Christ and in the words of Christ. So in John chapter 6, you remember Jesus has a lengthy discussion with the Jews of his day about how he was the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. And you remember in verse, look if you would, in verse 47, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And then verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And you think about the figure of speech that Jesus is using here. And take that and tie that back to John chapter 4 when Jesus talked to the woman at the well about living water. And so in verse 60, the Bible says, Many of His disciples, when they heard this, their response was, This is a hard saying or a difficult saying. Who can understand it? Verse 61, Jesus asked the question, Does this offend you or cause you to stumble? Now look at verse 66. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Verse 67, Jesus then turns to the twelve. In a very pointed way, He asked them, Will you also go away? And listen now to the response of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Do you think Peter was learning and growing? I think he was. Peter had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with Jesus. And I suspect that he heard Jesus preach and teach over and over and over again, don't you? And you know, the more you listen and the more you learn, the deeper your faith becomes, the greater your knowledge. And so, Peter was right here, wasn't he? When he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. Now look at verse 69. I think verse 69 is a bedrock statement about the one we call Peter. Peter said, also, we have come to believe and know, K-N-O-W, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ. What was it Andrew said? We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Peter said, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ. Now listen to him, the Son of the living God. 
Could I ask you tonight, does it matter whether or not you believe Jesus is the Son of God? In our politically correct climate, there are a lot of folks that will tell you it really doesn't matter whether or not you embrace Jesus as the Son of God. You could identify Him with one of the great spiritual leaders of days gone by, but the idea of being the Son of God not really that important. Well, based upon the testimony of Jesus Himself, I'd say it does matter. And Peter affirmed that Jesus was the Christ, and so he demonstrates tremendous confidence, or as we would say, conviction, not only in the Lord, but in the words of the Lord. When Peter said, you have the words of life eternal, wasn't it Jesus who said over in chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth? And the truth shall make you free. What is it that liberates people from sin? The truth of Almighty God. Didn't Paul say God's desire is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? And so we talk about the conviction of Peter. And then what about his compromise? Peter wasn't perfect. I don't think he would have claimed to be perfect. But turn with me now to the book of John in chapter 13. In chapter 13, Jesus is engaged in a conversation with the apostles. And really, you need to take chapters 13 through 17 as a block or unit. Contextually, he's talking to the apostles and he's telling them he's going to be leaving them. He had been prepping them. You remember we noted a moment ago, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus told the disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the chief priests, elders, and scribes, be killed, raised again the third day. Well, now, as he speaks these words, the cross is looming before him. And so note, if you would, down in verse, well, pick up with me if you would, and note verse 33. Jesus said, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Look at verse 36 now. Simon Peter again, quick to speak. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? And then listen to this. I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him and said, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you denied me three times. Now, we know the story, don't we? Peter, very bold. I think in his heart of hearts, he believed that he would literally give his life for the Christ. Don't you think that? I think that was the conviction that he held at that point in time. There's a lesson there for us. And that is, sometimes... We're not quite as strong spiritually as we think we are. You know, there are times when maybe we over 
assess our spiritual standing. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you remember what he said in the long ago? If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest what? Lest he fall. So, nothing wrong with affirming our faith. Nothing wrong with demonstrating confidence in the Lord and trying to demonstrate that confident, faithful spirit. But Peter fell beneath the weight of the pressures that surrounded him. So in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has been apprehended. What happens to Peter? Do you remember? Three times he denies the Lord Jesus Christ. When that rooster crowed, what happened? He remembered, didn't he? Now, to me, what's so important about Peter is that he didn't completely give up. The Lord didn't give up on him, did he? But rather, you remember over in the book of John in chapter 21 when the Lord, after having been raised from the dead, came back to Peter, instructing him to feed his sheep, to tend his flock, the Lord there again demonstrating confidence in this man that had fallen due to spiritual weakness. There is a final point I want to share with you, and it has to do with the consecration of Peter. I mentioned a moment ago that in John chapter 21, we have a record of the Lord encouraging Peter and really enlisting him once again in his service. Don't you find it somewhat ironic that when you come to Acts chapter 2 and the apostles are endowed with the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, that out of the apostles, the Holy Spirit provides a record for us of the preaching of none other than Peter, the one who denied the Lord. Did Jesus give up on Peter? The answer is no. When we stumble and fall, when we're not what we ought to be and we come to our senses and make things right with God, when we repent, confess, acknowledge our wrongdoing, ask God to forgive us, is He willing to use us? Yes. So here it is, Pentecost Day. Jesus had already promised Peter and the other apostles that they would receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so here is Peter and the other apostles, and they're preaching Jesus, aren't they? The one that God had sent into the world to redeem the human family. And they are acknowledging, the apostles are acknowledging the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that those people present on that occasion, they were pricked or cut to the heart by what they heard. It says something about the convicting power of the Word of God, doesn't it? And you remember they cried out to Peter and the other apostles and they wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? Look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Listen to what Peter instructs them to do. They want to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, verse 38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Question. Did Peter know what he was talking about? He was an inspired apostle, wasn't he? The Lord had said that he would be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He is taking the terms legislated by Almighty God and setting forth the means by which people might enter that kingdom. Now, there are a lot of folks that look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and they want to try to make the case that that preposition ice there, instead of, instead of meaning for the remission of sins, they have the idea that you're baptized because you've already been saved. Well, that's not what the text says. That preposition always looks forward in scope. 1,750 times it's found in the New Testament. Every single time it looks forward and not backward. So when Peter said you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, that's what God in heaven said. And if you want a parallel to that, go to Mark 16, 16. That is a perfect parallel to what Peter said. Repent, be baptized, and you'll be forgiven of sins. Believe, be baptized, and you'll be saved. And so, Peter becomes a great preacher and teacher of the gospel. And we talk about his consecration. Very quickly, over in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. You remember Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin council. They're interrogated as to the healing of a man from Jerusalem. He was a beggar, begging alms. They had healed him. They wanted to know by what power, what name have you done this? And the Bible says in verse 8 that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you. And to all the people that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Verse 12, acknowledging the fact that only through Jesus can be, people be saved. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Peter and John had been with the Lord Jesus for what? For what, three, three and a half years? They had not studied in some rabbinical school. They had not been privileged like Saul of Tarsus to sit at the feet of Gamaliel. But the Bible says they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. So what about their consecration? Look at what it said down in verse 17. Well, look at verse 16. What shall we do to these men? Indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak no more in this name. How did I go over with Peter and John? They called them, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen, that's conviction. That's consecration. And that's the, that's the kind of conviction and consecration we need today in the Lord's church. Peter and John later went back, rehearsed these events with their comrades in Christ. 
prayed for boldness. Down in verse 31, the Bible says, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Peter would later, under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, pen two epistles. First Peter chapter 5, the Bible tells us that he became a pastor, an elder in the Lord's church. So here was a man that wore many hats, a preacher, a teacher, a missionary, a penman, an elder. He did a lot of good in his lifetime. And I can only imagine the numerous people that owed their faith to the preaching and teaching of Peter. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you want to be a child of God, you've got to do exactly what Peter said to those people on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. If your faith is in Christ and you'll repent and be baptized into Christ, listen, God will put you in the church. And God has promised to save those who are in the church, Ephesians 5.23. And then if you'll be faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to heaven's invitation, maybe you haven't been living as you should, you want to be restored, could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?